My goodness, that video gets me dancing. Hey, Mount Horeb, how are we doing? I love it, I love it, I love it. Mount Horeb United Methodist Church. Our world is full of division right now, but I'm thankful that we can still be united, amen? So good, so good. Hey, so good to see you guys. So if we haven't met before, my name is Bryce. I serve as our pastoral intern. That's a little bit different from the role I've introduced myself in the past few times I've been on this stage and in the traditional service because I changed roles this week and, and now I have the amazing privilege of learning in this new role from some of the best pastors in the United States of America. I don't say that lightly. You just saw one of them, Chad Myers. I mean, Chad Myers, I, I, I hope I can preach half as good as Chad Myers. Um, but we have Trevor Miller, Jeff Kersey, Chad Myers, an incredible, incredible pastoral team here at the church. And I am so excited to be in this new role and learning from each and every one of them. And today, as Chad said, we are still in our series, Resilient. Resilient. And in week one of this series, Pastor Jeff stood right here on this stage and he introduced us to this guy, Joseph. And how in Joseph's life, he initially had these two dreams. And God was faithful to Joseph every step of the way after these dreams started to kind of come to be. But they didn't turn out how he thought they would. And so last week, Trevor came and stood on this stage for us and talked about temptation. He talked about how Joseph looked temptation in the eyes and he showed us the difference between running from something and running to something. And so today in week three, I get the amazing privilege to talk about Genesis chapter 40. That's where we're gonna be turning in a moment. But before we get there, I wanna tell you a little bit of backstory about my week. This week I was, uh, I was preparing for this message and I remember praying to God. I said, God, if I'm honest with you, I tend to read right past Genesis 40 because as we're gonna see in a minute, all that really happens is, you know, this guy Joseph, he gets put in prison for something that he didn't do. And then these two guys come to Joseph in prison, say, hey, we had these cool dreams. Tell us what they mean. He does. And then the chapter literally ends telling us he's still in prison. And so for me, what I often do is I'm, I'm, I'm so caught up in the things that happen before chapter 40 and the things that happen after chapter 40 because they're a bit more exciting in Joseph's life. But I believe that so often God will do this thing where maybe he does it to you too. He'll do this thing where I'm reading scripture and he'll stop me. And he'll say, hold up, Bryce. I think you missed something. And I don't think just you missed something. I think that the people that are gonna come into Mount Horeb, whether physically or virtually on September 6, 2020, maybe have missed something too. And so Genesis chapter 40, I believe that God shows us some very, very important things that we're gonna get to in just a moment. And actually what helped me see this was a story that I was reading about online this week. I went on my MacBook Pro. It's the best computer on the market for all you Apple lovers. If you don't have a MacBook Pro, you should go get one. Um, but I, I went on Safari and I typed in resilient stories, resilient stories. And one of these caught my attention in particular is about a guy named Marlon Peterson. You may recognize that name. You see, Marlon had spent 10 years, two months, and seven days in prison. All of his 20s had been spent in jail and he was actually charged with second degree murder and he pled guilty to attempted robbery and assault to the first degree. But this is what caught my attention about Marlon's stories. It's that during his incarceration, he spent time thinking about the devastating impact of gun violence in his community, in his hometown. And so while he was in prison, he, he actually wrote letters to some of the people back in his own town, some of the people that were young, just like he was, to try to talk to them about this issue. How do we solve this issue? And since he was released just a few years ago, Marlon has designed and even implemented youth empowerment programs and has worked to create safer communities free of the violence that he both witnessed and participated in growing up. 
He's earned an undergraduate degree from NYU, that's New York University, and he co-founded what's called the Presidential Group, which seeks to humanize social justice issues. I tell you all of those facts to tell you this. Marlon could have easily become another statistic and stayed in prison, waited out his 10-year, two-month, and seven-day sentence and gone right back to what he was living. But Marlon was able to grasp the same concept that I believe God wants us to take away from Joseph's story and apply directly to ours, and it's this. There was a purpose behind the prison. There was a purpose behind the prison. If you're taking notes, that's the title of my message, The Purpose Behind the Prison. So if you would, turn with me to Genesis 40. That's where we're gonna be camping out this morning. Genesis chapter 40, first book in the entire Bible. And I believe that, as I said, there are three extremely important things that God wants to teach us from this very chapter that I believe he's been preaching to me all week and he wants to preach to us this morning as well. But before we start looking at some of these key things, I wanna set the stage. Because in Genesis 39, as we heard last week, Joseph ran away from Potiphar's wife. He looked temptation, he looked sin in the eyes, and he ran away. He did the right thing. He remained faithful to God, but yet he was still put in prison. And so that's where chapter 40 starts off. And we start reading that the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, also known as Pharaoh, offended their master, the king of Egypt. You see, Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and baker, and he put them in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. He attended them. Now we also learn in chapter 39 that that God was with Joseph. That seems to be a repeated phrase throughout all of Joseph's story. God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. And so the warden of the entire prison actually put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners, one of which he was. And so, so, so what's interesting to me about that fact is that when Joseph entered prison, there must have been something different about him. Because when this warden saw him, he saw something going on in Joseph's life, just kind of the way he carried himself, the way he spoke, I'm sure, that he said, this guy is something special. And I'm gonna trust him to essentially do my job in some ways, make my job easier. And so he puts him over all the prisoners in the prison with him. And you see, Joseph had God's favor upon him because God was with him. And he seemed to constantly be showing great faithfulness and integrity throughout his entire story, believing that there was indeed a higher purpose behind his imprisonment. And church, when we can come to the conclusion that even the situations and the circumstances that knock us down to the lowest point in our life when we feel like we're at the very bottom, that those things can actually be used for God's higher purpose, we will begin to model the life of Joseph. We'll begin to have Joseph's attitude and we'll begin to always be open to opportunities. That's the first thing God wants to teach us, always be open to opportunities. Now, what I don't mean by opportunities is opportunities to get out of prison. Maybe right now you find yourself in a very similar position as Joseph. You'd say, Bryce, if I'm honest with you, I find myself in a prison, a pit of some kind that I've been trying to shake myself free from. I've been trying to get myself out of it for months, days, years, weeks, however long. I just can't figure out why. But what God is not trying to tell you is that he's automatically, immediately gonna take you, remove you out of this prison as soon as this sermon is over. But I think that he's trying to remind you the same thing that that he tried to remind Joseph. That I need you to be open to an opportunity that while you're in the prison, still influencing someone positively that's in it with you. 
There's a difference between being open to opportunities to get out of prison and being open to opportunities to influence someone positively while you're still in it with them. And that's exactly what Joseph teaches us. That's his attitude. In verses four through six, here's what the Bible tells us. After they'd been in custody for some time, each of these two men, the cupbearer and the baker, they had a dream the same night. And each dream actually had a meaning of its own. And so when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. Now, the Hebrew scholar on our staff is currently preaching in the traditional service. Her name is Emma Murphy. But I did a little bit of digging myself into what this original Hebrew word was. And a a, a better definition of it is actually enraged or frustrated, angry. And so these two men essentially had dreams on the same night. And this Joseph guy comes walking over and he sees them being angry, frustrated, enraged. He can see it on their face. He can see it by the way that they're acting and speaking. And it would have been so easy for Joseph to see those emotions and just keep walking. But instead he stops. He shows care and he shows compassion. I don't know much about prison, but I have a strange suspicion that anger, rage, and frustration are probably pretty common emotions being shown. So he had every right to keep walking, but he stopped. He showed care and compassion. And here's why I think he showed care and compassion, because Joseph was looking past his position and focusing more on his posture. He was looking past his position, and he was focusing more on his posture. And if you don't just want to look at Joseph's life to see it, you can look at Jesus Christ's life, because he did the same thing. In John chapter 13, Jesus' position in John chapter 13 is at a table with some disciples when he knows this is probably going to be one of the last times I get to spend with my disciples because I know that my end to my earthly ministry is coming to an end. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be good. I know this is pretty much the end. That's his position. But his posture is very different because his posture is down on two knees going around one-on-one washing the disciples' feet because both Joseph and Jesus show us the same thing here. That when you're focused more on your posture than you are in your position, you will be open to opportunities to serve those around you, regardless of where you find yourself. And that's exactly what I believe God wants to remind us of right now through both the lives of Joseph and Jesus. Because church, if we care more about our position in life than our posture, if we care more about our own dream than serving someone around us who may be even in a deeper pit than we find ourselves in and maybe doesn't have the hope of Jesus Christ that we may have, then we'll miss opportunities to be a God witness. We'll miss opportunities to help someone else discover that hope. We'll miss opportunities to help someone else see the life that Jesus Christ could give them. I remember a few years ago, I was watching a YouTube video. Uh, It was an NBA highlight video. If anybody watches NBA basketball, it was a game between the Celtics and the Wizards um, when, when Kyrie Irving was still on the Celtics. And um, the producers of this highlight video did this little segment that they called Miked Up. And what this essentially is, is when the viewers like you and I get to hear some of the chatter that's going on between some of the key players. And so there were these two all-star point guards that were mic'd up at the time. One was named John Wall on the Wizards. One was named Kyrie Irving on the Celtics. And I remember that there was this one play in particular during the mic'd up segment where John Wall, I so wish I had a basketball right now, I'd start dribbling it. Um, John Wall had a basketball and he was dribbling between his legs, crossed up Kyrie Irving, went all the way to the hoop, had a wide open dunk and missed it. And so he's disappointed in himself, he's running back and Kyrie runs up to him and he says, John, John, you missed your highlight. John, you missed your highlight. You had the opportunity 
It was super clear for everybody to see, but you missed it. And church, if we're honest, I wonder how many of us have missed clear opportunities to highlight God's power to somebody else simply because we've been too self-focused. We've been trying to serve ourselves rather than those around us. And we have, in doing so, missed opportunities that God's given us. You see, Joseph knew that this was an opportunity from God. And the reason I think that he knew this was an opportunity from God was because it had to do with something he was familiar with, dreams. God put him in a familiar territory here. He says in verse eight, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Because you see, God's given me the experience I need, the giftings I need to be able to do this for you. And even though Joseph's initial dreams did not play out exactly how he thought they would, he is reminded that God is still with him, God's still for him, and God is still faithful. And so the story goes on to tell us about the two dreams that these men had, and Joseph's able to interpret both of them perfectly. And he says first to the chief cupbearer, hey bro, good news. I know you got put in prison, Pharaoh didn't like you a few weeks ago, but good news is you're gonna be getting out of prison. Pharaoh's gonna ask you to come back. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be awesome. Go ahead and start partying. But then the baker walks over and he says, okay, baker, I got some bad news for you. Um, it's over, it's over. Uh, so Pharaoh's gonna actually impale your body on a pole um, just to give you a little bit of imagery. Um, so I don't know if you're anything like me, but sometimes I'll be reading through the Bible and um, I'm trying to be as serious as possible. And then there's just something that I read that's like super funny. And I was trying to picture how this scene played out in my head because, you know, if, if I'm Joseph, I'm gonna already interpret both of these dreams. I know exactly what I'm gonna say when they walk up to me. And Chief Cupbearer comes up. Dude, you are gonna be so stoked. You're gonna be so excited for what your dream actually means. And then the baker, after I get done with him, the baker comes up to me and he's probably super, super excited because he's like, man, my best friend is going right back to where he was. Life's gonna be great for him. And you're telling me, God, that I have to look this guy in the eyes and tell him that his body is gonna be impaled on a pole? Not good. But nonetheless, Joseph takes this opportunity. And he's not focused on how they're gonna react. Instead, he, he decides to tell them what their dreams mean for their future. But there's a key verse right in the middle. It's verse 14. There's a key verse between the first interpretation and the second interpretation. It's right after Joseph tells the cupbearer what his dream's gonna mean. And here's what he says to him. When all goes well with you, remember me. Show me kindness. All you have to do is mention me to Pharaoh and he will get me out of this prison. Garrison, you know what God was saying to me in this moment? I really feel like this was it. I didn't hear him audibly. Bryce, don't give up on that dream I gave you. Don't give up on that dream I gave you. In fact, don't be afraid to dream again. Don't be afraid to dream again. Church, don't be afraid to dream again. Because some of us in this room and watching online, we've completely given up on the God dream that we have. We've completely given up on the dream that God's put in our lives, put in our hearts, put in our minds, simply because it didn't turn out how we thought it would. We had a picture in our minds of how this was gonna go down. God, I know you gave this to me. I'm so excited to start chasing after this dream with you. I know you're gonna bring it to completion, but then I hit a roadblock. Then I hit a setback. And then the, the picture in my mind doesn't play out how I thought it would. And so in turn, I, I decide to turn around and leave the dream where it is and just walk away from it. 
Some of us have given up on God's dream because it put us in a position that wasn't comfortable. It put us in a position that we didn't ask for nor ever imagine we'd be in. And you see, Joseph was in a very similar spot. He had these two initial dreams that he was excited about, he was motivated by, but then his circumstances started to shift. And he had a constant decision to be making. Every step of the way, am I gonna give up on the dream that I know without a shadow of a doubt God gave me, or am I gonna choose to be faithful, knowing that God will be faithful in return? And even now when Joseph is at the lowest point in his entire life, when he's in prison for something he didn't do, when he can't quite see a way out, God is reminding him and reminding us today, hey, just to remind you, I'm not done with you. Just to remind you, that dream I gave you is still gonna happen. And just because I'm not working off of your timetable and just because I'm not working off of the picture that you have in your head and the plans that you made yourself does not mean I can't do it. That's exactly what Joseph was reminded of. Don't be afraid to dream again. Don't give up on what I gave you. Because if you're not dead, then I'm not done. Don't be afraid to dream again. I told you I was reading some stories this week about resilience. And I came across this other one that I've actually never heard before. And it was about this guy that when he was around my age, he had just finished college. And he started working at a a newspaper um, place in Kansas City called the Kansas City Star. And a few weeks, a few months into this uh, first job he had, he was excited about it. He was, he, he was feeling like his future was in the newspaper industry. And his editor came to him, his boss came to him and said, um, hey, just to let you know, you lack a lot of imagination and you really don't have any good ideas. You're not performing and so uh, you're fired. And so he gets fired, he, he gets knocked down, he shakes the dust off of him, gets back up. And then he, he actually decides a, a few months later to open his own uh, animation company. He said, well, if newspaper didn't work out, Maybe I, I just need to be in animation. So he opens his own animation company right in the Kansas City area as well. And it was doing a little bit better, but there came a point where he actually had to close the whole thing down because he couldn't even support himself financially. Couldn't even live on his own, couldn't even feed himself. And so it's setback after setback after setback. The story kept going on and on and on. I was so confused why this guy kept getting back up. Because if I'm in his position, I would have taken the hint by now, if you will. So, okay, God, maybe you didn't give me this. Maybe this really isn't what I'm on this earth to do. So maybe I need to go find something else. But instead, this guy was so persistent. He knew it. He knew it. He knew it. He just kept going on and kept going on. And finally, he was in his house one day. And um, he pulled out a piece of paper and just a pencil all by himself. And uh, he started doodling, started drawing pretty much anything that came to his mind. He's still thinking, you know, there's, there's something here. There's something here. There's something here. I've got to do it. And he came across this figure that he called at the time Mickey Mouse. And he... He decided to, to submit that to as many people as he could. He said, I, I think this is the one. I think this is where my career is gonna get started. And so finally, the, the media got attention of this. They got a hold of this. And this guy actually went on to be nominated for 59 Academy Awards, winning 22 trophies. That's a record in both categories. He founded a theme park all the way out in California, in Florida, and even now in 2020, all around the world. And his last name is known worldwide, all because Walt Disney decided to never give up on his dream. He never gave up. I don't care how many setbacks I have to hit to get to where I wanna be, it's gonna happen. I believe that a higher purpose is behind this dream. I believe that a higher power put this dream in my life for a purpose. He wasn't afraid to dream again. And you know, as, as we read the story in Genesis, 
I'm pretty confident that Joseph eventually figured out that God's plan for his life didn't stop in prison. Even while he was in prison, I believe that he was able to recognize that this is not my ultimate destination. And so if this isn't my ultimate destination and I'm still on a journey with God, that must mean that God has me here to teach me something. He's got me here for a purpose of some kind. And believe it or not, I believe that the purpose Joseph was in prison was actually to remind Joseph of his purpose. To remind Joseph that, hey, I I gave you a dream. I need you to be faithful, believing that I will be faithful in return. Because church, purposeless people stay right where they are in prison. Purposeless people stay in prison. If you feel like you're at the lowest point of your life right now, if you feel like you are in prison of some kind, maybe it doesn't look like actual physical bars like it did for Joseph. Maybe it's mental change, spiritual change, emotional change that you're stuck in. Maybe it's because God intends for you to stay there just a little while longer so that he can remind you of something, so that he can teach you something, so that he can show you, hey, I've still got a purpose behind your prison, your pit, your pain. I've still got a purpose for your life. Because it wasn't Joseph's destination, he wasn't afraid to dream again. And maybe for you, dreaming again looks like easily refocusing, just like Joseph was able to do. God, you're right. I need to pick up my my dream again. I'm gonna start walking. This is gonna be great. I don't care what roadblock gets in my way. I'm doing this. Maybe that's you. But maybe for you, you'd say, Bryce, I, I, I really think dreaming again is gonna take some time based on the fact that I've had Numerous setbacks. Maybe for you, that's an addiction, an unhealthy relationship that you've been stuck in. Maybe a loss of some kind that you just really don't think there's any way you could ever bounce back from. Maybe you don't know if you'll ever be able to dream again because the people closest to you, they walked out. They didn't want anything to do with you after you started chasing after this God dream. Maybe someone else's decisions have gotten you to the place that you find yourself right now and you feel like you're at the very, very bottom and you're all alone in the fight to find resilience and you've lost sight of God's dream and God's purpose for your life in the process. And if that's you, I'm so thankful that Genesis 40 doesn't end where we just ended. That there's actually the the last verse of the entire chapter, I believe is one of the most crucial learning curves God could give us. One of the most crucial reminders that God could give us. And this is what it says. The chief cupbearer, however, he didn't remember Joseph. He forgot him. That's how the chapter ends. It takes us back to verse 14 when, when Joseph says, hey, when this, not if, but when this happens, when you get out of prison, I need your help getting me out of prison. All I need you to do is remember me. That's it. Just remember my name. Mention it to Pharaoh. He'll get me out. But the chapter ends, tells us that he, he didn't remember Joseph, he forgot him. And the reason I tell you that is to tell you this, that even when people forget you, God's not gonna forsake you. Even when people forget about you, God's not gonna forsake you. And because God will never forsake you, you can do the same thing that Joseph did all throughout his story, all throughout his life, and be faithful towards God. You see, this is what God is reminding Joseph of throughout his entire story as it unfolds. Joseph, your brothers may not want you around anymore. They might want nothing to do with you ever again because of the dreams that you told them were gonna happen. 
Joseph, you, you might be confronted with a, a possible temptation that could lead to a sin. You might look that temptation in the eyes and run the other way. Do the right thing. You might still be faithful and it might get you put in prison. And when you're in prison, Joseph, there might even be a wonderful chance for you to get out of prison by this one person simply remembering your name. But even when he forgets about you, I'm never gonna forsake you. Even when people forget you, God will not forsake you. And church, I have a strange feeling that there's somebody here today, whether physically or virtually, that's in a very similar boat as Joseph. But you've abandoned God because you have believed the lie and the misconception that God has abandoned you. You've completely walked away from both God and the dream that he put inside of you. God, I was doing everything you wanted me to do in my life. God, I was trying to follow as closely to the way you tell me to live as I could. In fact, I was trying to walk out the call that I believe you put on my life. But look where it got me. It got me to the lowest point in my life. It got me to a place that, frankly, I don't think I can recover from. So why would I trust a God that put me at the lowest point I've ever been at before? Maybe that's you. And so you've walked away from both God and the dream that he's given you. And you know, this week I was reading through scripture just one morning and I, I, I wasn't really even thinking about this message and I, I came across the disciples in John, in the gospel of John. and I started reading some of their, their story. I started reading about the ministry that Jesus did while, while they were around. And I really feel like the disciples knew how this felt more than anybody else, as clearly as anybody else. You see, these, these disciples, they had committed many years of their life to following after this guy who showed up on the scene out of nowhere named Jesus and started healing people left and right. He started talking like nobody had talked before, a lot of wisdom coming out of his mouth that they had never heard before. And so somewhere along the way in their journey, they decided this is the guy. This is the one that we read about in the Old Testament that God said, I'm gonna bring to you to save you from yourself, save you from your sin, save you from this world and what it offers. This is him. And so they, they start following Jesus. Other people start following Jesus because they're following Jesus. And it looks as if the, the dream is alive and well, and this is the guy that's worth following. This is it, we found him. But then the disciples' hope gets crushed because the story changes one day. Because one day when everything seemed to be okay, this, this dream that they were following after Jesus, he got arrested in a garden and he got put on trial. He got beaten over the head many times. He had to wear a crown of thorns, actually. He almost bled out, but not before he was put on a cross for many people for miles to see and witness and laugh at and scorn and walk away from. And so these same disciples that were, that were following after Jesus for many, many years, they had to stare at this guy on a cross when he breathed his last. And I can only imagine what people must have been thinking, what the disciples must have been thinking, actually. God, we thought this was the one we thought this was the one that was gonna save us from our sins, conquer the whole world. It's, it was gonna be great, but looks like he ended up just like everybody else. And so the disciples, they, they go back to their own homes. The people that were following Jesus beyond the disciples, they, were, they forgot all about him. And they're in their homes scratching their head, trying to figure out why they just wasted three years of their life. And then one day, God rewrote the story. And most of you probably know this story that this same dream decided to move a, 
move a stone out of the way that nobody said could be moved and walk out of a tomb when everybody saw he was dead, alive. And he walked into where these disciples were and he said, peace be with you because I hope you didn't forget about me. But even if you did, I serve a God who never will. Even when I was all alone hanging by myself, there was still a higher purpose. And church, if there can be a higher purpose behind a death on a cross 2,000 years ago, I fully believe that there's a higher purpose behind the pain that you find yourself in. There's a higher purpose behind the pit that you're currently finding yourself in. You feel like you're at the lowest point in your entire life, but there's a purpose. And the same God that decided to raise Jesus Christ from the dead three days after he had died is the same God that's moving right now in this place, whether you're here with us physically or whether you're watching online. He's the same God that's inviting you to come back. He knows that you've walked away, not just from the dreams he gave you, but most importantly, he, he knows you've walked away from him. And right now, in this very moment, he's, he's giving you the opportunity on a silver platter, saying, here, I've paid the price for you. And whether you've never met me before or whether you knew me so, so well and you decided I wasn't worth it anymore many months or years ago, I want you back. He wants you back. He wants to get your focus back on he and the dreams that he gave you. And he wants you to be able to dream again. And church, let me speak from personal experience that I think the the best way that we can learn how to dream again is by taking a real clear look at where we are right now, whether we're on the mountaintop or whether we're in the valley or somewhere in between. Look at where we are now. And then start to look backwards and see every step that you took, there was a faithfulness that I couldn't come up with on my own. God was still faithful when he didn't have to be. I was deep in sin for this many years. He still showed up. He still came. He still came to my rescue. And he allowed me to walk free from that. He paid the price for that. And if God was faithful back then, I can only believe that God's going to be faithful right now and going forward in the future. That's what Joseph had in his mind. Joseph was able to look back and see just how far he's brought me. And so if he's brought me this far, even though it's got me in a prison, I know there's a purpose and that this is not where my story ends. There's a purpose. There's never been a greater moment to dream again because it's not very hard to notice that our world needs the dream that God put inside you. Our world needs the dream that God put inside of you individually. And he's given it to you for you to accomplish with his help every step of the way. You know, Joseph had to go through a lot as his dream came to be a reality. It wasn't always pretty. It didn't work out how he thought it would. It wasn't comfortable at times. And on numerous occasions, he had every right to give up on God and walk the other way, but he never did because he knew there was a purpose. He knew that God was still with him. God was still for him. And God would never, ever, ever forsaken. I don't know who you've hurt. I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you've been. But what I do know is that we serve a God that is here right now please don't miss this. We serve a God that right here, right now, that's never gonna let you go. 
In fact, as far as you run one way away from him, at any given moment, I believe that you can turn around and he's gonna be closer to you than you ever thought he was. Because he's a God that's willing to pursue us no matter how far we run away from his purpose for our life. And today I believe God is challenging us as a congregation, us as his people, to simply be faithful when it does not make any sense to be faithful. Because church, the truth is the, the purpose behind our prisons becomes clearest when we realize that we serve a king that often has to take us through the pit to get to the palace. So I wanna pray with you as we close and I would ask you to join me in bowing your head and closing your eyes as we pray. We're gonna close in worship in just a moment and, and sing all about the king that decided we were worth stepping out of heaven for so that he could then come take us with him when he goes back. And so let's pray to that king right now. Father, thank you for the times in my life personally when I didn't deserve for you to still show up. But you still did. I'm thankful for all of the, the dreams across this room and watching online right now, many of which are, are, are good and intact, many of which have been laid down and forgotten about, all of which are from you and that you've put in our hearts. I pray for that person right now that has walked away not only from the dreams you gave them, but walked away from you, has wanted nothing to do with you for a long, long time. And I pray that that person right now would not wait another moment to step back into that relationship, step back into communion with you exactly where they need to be for the rest of their lives. Thank you for the model of Joseph and the model of Jesus to show us that even when we're at the lowest point in our lives, you truly are a king that doesn't waste anything and that takes us right through the pit so that you can immediately Show us how to get to the palace. Lord, we love you. Thank you for never forsaking us when we give you every reason to. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.